I read an article in the Washington Post this week. It was written by a young woman who had remained a virgin until she was married, and she did so in conviction of her, uh, her Christian beliefs. She had, uh, I guess she had come across uh, I Kiss Dating, the book by Joshua Harris, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And um, no, she did come across I Kiss Dating Goodbye. She read it. Um, and she lived by that, and she remained a virgin until she was a Christian. And this is what she read. She said, I'm a heterosexual woman, a virgin until married, not with two small children and a husband I deeply love. We attend church, we believe in God, and yet for me, the legacy of, and yet for me, the legacy of purity culture is not one of freedom, but one of fear. And she, in the article, she, she bemoans the fact that she can't, didn't indulge in her um, lust, and she writes this, I remember being promised at a youth rally that I will find freedom through the confining structures of purity which were for my protection. But I never did. Instead, I've only uncovered message after message that encouraged me to police my body at the expense of what is truly in my heart and mind. I've heard arguments that I was protected from early pregnancy because of my fear. But I'd rather rely on birth control for that. Because the only thing fear protects against is life. Fear is not the way of grace or growth, she quoted. Now, first of all, if I were her husband, I'd be like, for real? <laughs> What's wrong with me? <laughs> Seriously. Um, yeah, it's a long conversation. Um, but second, I feel like she has a wrong view of fear and has a wrong view of sin. Indulging our flesh with sin is not freedom. It actually brings death. And the best thing that could happen to anyone is to fight against their sin and to have their sin removed. It's only then that we could truly be thankful all the days of our lives. And that's what we see happening in this song right here. David is blessing the Lord, and his primary focus in blessing the Lord is that his sins has been forgiven and that they've been removed. Listen now as I read Psalms 103. Of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for men, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. And his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels. You mighty ones who do his word obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, and all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. A little context for the song. King David is the writer of this song, but the occasion is unclear. So we don't have a real concrete historical backdrop. But given the content of the psalm, however, it is most likely that it occurs after his spiritual restoration to the Lord. David was, lar- was largely a man after God's own heart, but he was still a man. And in a season of rebellion, he stole a man's wife, got her pregnant, and then in an effort to cover it up, he had the man killed. Now, when confronted about the sin, King David confessed it and, therefore, and thereafter was restored and renewed in his fellowship with the Lord. This is the king, this is David, who is the author of this psalm. Now, this whole psalm, is trying, he's trying to get his soul to bless the Lord. Now, maybe at this point he was in a spiritual stupor or he was at a dry time in his life, so he is commanding his soul to bless the holy name. Now, there are a few different ways that the word blessing is used in the Bible. But in this instance, blessing means to give the Lord the praise, the honor, the the respect, the adoration that is due to him. It means to acknowledge and worship him. Not with his gifts, though, and not with his voice, but with his soul. When he speaks of his soul, he's speaking of the core of who he is, his all that is within him. It's the part of him that lusts, that craves, that desires, that worships God. It's the part of us that God will, will judge. He says in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who can kill the body, but rather fear the one that can destroy both soul and body in hell. And he says, what profits a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? So knowing that out of the soul flows the rivers of life, David speaks to his soul and says, bless the Lord's holy name. Now, you will notice in your Bibles that the word Lord has all capital letters. And this was used by the Hebrew um, authors to show when they're speaking of the Lord as their covenant head. 
the Lord had made a covenant with the people of Israel to, to bless and prosper them if they kept his, his commandments and his covenant. So David, reminding himself of the covenant that he has with the Lord, says, bless the Lord. And he says, in the, at the end of verse 2, forget not all his benefits. Then he goes on to list the benefits. Verse 3 says, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Now, some people would probably like to reverse that order and say, ah, skip the forgiveness. Can I just go straight to the healing? But that's not what David does. David says that the, that the, first that the Lord forgives iniquities. Now, that is not good news unless you really understand what iniquities are. In the passage and throughout Scripture, you will see words transgression, iniquity, sin, and they all pretty much have the same meaning. They're fundamentally meaning that it's the breaking, it's breaking the law of God. It's crossing the Lord's moral boundaries. It's, it's walking crooked and not along his straight paths. Now, some people would say um, sin is like you got a dart, and there's a dart board, and God's commands are in the middle, and you try to aim at the board, and you miss every now and then because you've got bad practice and you, you're weak. That's not quite how the Bible describes sin. The Bible describes sin more like you got a bow and arrow, and you're not pointing at the dart board. You're pointing at God himself. And you're trying to kill him and take him off his throne. You don't like the Lord or the Lord's law. That's what sin is. Now, that would be okay if the Lord was like, you do you and I'm going to do me. (laughs) But he's not like that. The Lord is holy. That's what David calls him. At the end of verse 1, he said, bless his holy name. That means that he is totally unique and separate from his creation, as well as totally pure. He is not only the creator of the moral law, he keeps the moral law perfectly, and he enforces the law. And as the enforcer, he says that the wages of sin is death. And in Isaiah 59, too, he says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin has caused us to be judged by the Lord. And it has separated us from the Lord. And this is why this benefit is so wonderful. This is why it's so important. He says that the Lord actually forgives sins. Now his forgiveness, in this forgiveness, that means he would no longer be separate from him. That he would no longer experience the judgment of death and of hell. But instead, he will experience what the rest of the verses say is healing, deliverance, he'll be crowned, and he'll be renewed. So now we can look at the second part of verse 3. It says, who heals your diseases? 
The Lord said in Deuteronomy 32, 39, that see now that I, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Exodus 15, 26 says that for I am the Lord, your healer. King David knew he had a great physician as his Lord and that he could heal every disease, whether it was a disease of the body or a disease of the soul. And therefore, he said, I'm going to bless the Lord's name. But there's another benefit. In verse 4, he says, who redeems your life from the pit. The pit was often the metaphor to express a deep, dark, solitary place. When people were in the pit, they were usually feeling like, felt like dying, felt like, or felt like death was soon approaching. When Job was going through his suffering, he said, he has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit. And in Jonah, when he was in the belly of the whale, he says that he went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. David knows that the Lord redeems people from the pit. He knows that he gives life. And so he blesses the Lord. And then there's another benefit in the verse four. He said he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He bestows upon the people the honor of his steadfast love. And he's signifying that their glory is his persistent, relentless love for them. And that their glory is him keeping them out of misery. And so, the Lord, and so David blesses the Lord. And then another benefit, he just keeps piling them on. In verse 5, he says, he satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The eagles were thought of as getting stronger and more beautiful as they aged. So the analogy reflects how the Lord strengthens the soul. I remind of Isaiah 40, 31, where he says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. These are just some of the benefits that David has chosen to bless the Lord for but they're so key. And notice the verbs here. It says the Lord forgives, heals, redeems, crowns, and satisfies. Now, there is no doubt that the Lord did these things for King David, but I think King David is also focused on the fact that he continues to do those things. The Lord is a redeemer and continues to redeem. And he also does it exhaustively. He forgives all sins and can heal all diseases and redeems the whole life from the pit and doesn't partially satisfy, but fully satisfies. He is blessing the Lord for what he has done and also for what he is able to do. And it's kind of like this. If when you think about blessing the Lord for what he's able to do, it's kind of like if, sorry, simple, simple analogy, your car breaks down the side of the road and 
you stuck, and if you don't have anybody that you know that could come and fix the car, you're going to be in despair. But now, say for instance, your car broke down the side of the road, and you know somebody that could fix it, and you know that they will fix it, at that point, you're going to be, you're going to be able to rest a little easier because you know somebody that can fix it. And so you could actually have hope, and you could actually be somewhat thankful, okay. It's kind of like when the, when the Hebrew boys and Daniel, right, they were, they were about to be thrown into the furnace for not bowing down to the uh, false gods, right? And they looked at the king straight in the face and said, you can throw me in that furnace if you want, but I know what my Lord is able to do, and I know what my Lord will do. He will deliver me. So God being able to do these things is enough for us to bless the Lord. And if we're in covenant relationship with him, then we know that he will do these things fully and finally. And we know we're in covenant relationship with the Lord if we have placed our faith in Christ. And we know that he can do it because when we see Christ in the scriptures, we see him doing all of these things plus so much more. So in Mark 2, 1 through 12, we see them bring a paralyzed man to him and Jesus with authority saying, your sins are forgiven. And then just to show that his sins were forgiven, he heals the paralyzed man, gives him, strength in all his, and gives him strength in all his limbs. He heals them. And then we see Jesus being a redeemer. So we see him go to the man who's demon-possessed near a pit, suicidal thoughts, and he's cutting himself, and the Lord redeems him from the pit of destruction. He actually redeems somebody from death. Multiple times we see Jesus raise people from death. How many people have we seen in Luke that cried out to the Lord for mercy because of their misery, and he crowns them with mercy and steadfast love? And then we see he continues to satisfy people with his goodness. That's what Jesus did all throughout the Gospels, but it's fully and finally seen and most gloriously seen when he dies on the cross for our sins. 1 Peter 2.24 says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. In that one act of dying on the cross and taking the wrath of God for sinners, he took away sins, he heals wounds, he redeems people from death, he gives them a new life, and he satisfies them. Now, some of these things may not be perfectly realized on earth, but they're sealed up for us in heaven. It's ours and it's coming. And for that, if we are in Christ, we can bless the Lord at all times. His praises can continuously be on our lips. Now, if David had to preach this to himself, we have to as well, because sometimes our circumstances and our feelings, they mislead us. So we have to review these things over and over and over again 
And they're not just some wistful chant. They're, they're based on the concrete life of Jesus and his, the concrete fact that he rose again. And so we preach the gospel to ourselves when we are in despair. We preach the gospel to ourselves when it seems like we're in some type of pit. We preach the gospel to ourselves all the time so that we could bless his holy name. Write it down. Make a rap. Sing a song. Journal. Do whatever you can. But put it into your soul. And sing out loud if you have Say it out loud if you have to. Sometimes when I'm in service, it just happened. I was distracted. So I was like, let me sing louder to drown out my distractions. That's what life is. It's constantly drowning out the distractions of this world and lifting our gaze to Jesus. So sing louder than all the pain you have. And pour it into your soul and watch the grace of Jesus refresh you. Now, some of us in here are still in the pit. Our sins have not been forgiven. We have not been redeemed. And we aren't healed. Well, then there are two problems here. One is you probably don't know you're in a pit. Another problem is you like where you are. So here's a pit test. Does the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ satisfy you? At whatever cost, do you say that the Lord's ways are good and therefore I'm going to be satisfied in him? No matter what it takes, I'm going to deny myself and follow him. Don't be like the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus knowing that Jesus had eternal life. And then Jesus said, all right, be done with your riches and come follow me. And essentially, he said, I'm more satisfied in that than you. That is the sure way to experience the eternal wrath of God. That's life in a pit. And that's not life. That's death. But you can have life. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus, turn to him now and repent of your sins. Say, I want to be satisfied in the cross of Jesus and and place your faith in him. If you do that, then you will be redeemed from the pit. This is the one time where the grass is truly greener on the other side of the fence. This is the surest time. You will have some hard times but you will eventually rest in green pastures because the shepherd will keep you and keep your soul. And then you will be able to bless the Lord at all times as well. So my first point, I forgot to say the title, the Lord blesses the Lord because, I mean, uh, David blesses the Lord because he 
redeems from sin. Next point is the Lord, David blesses the Lord because he removes sin. That's in verses 6 through 12. Now in verses 6 through 12, we see that verse 6, he says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Now, this is just a general statement that applies to all humanity because at some point or another, everybody will stand before the, for the judgment of God and they will have to give an account for what they did. And if they have oppressed people, then God will judge them for that. But David may also have in mind the people of Israel, which is why he Speaks of that in verse 7. He said, he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. Israel was God's chosen people. And at one point, they were enslaved in Egypt. They were being oppressed. But God heard their cry, raised up the leader Moses, and through Moses, he delivered the people from slavery. During this process of deliverance and bringing them into the land, a land, he revealed his ways to Moses and thus to the Israelites. And what he revealed to them is the same thing that David is quoting in the following verses. I'll read it again. It says, the Lord, in verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 9, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. The Lord is merciful. That means when, when people are in misery or pain, he has compassion and relieves their pain. The Lord is gracious. That means he gives good gifts to people without them deserving it or earning it. The Lord is slow to anger. That means he's not quick to pour out his wrath on sinners. He is abounding in steadfast love. That means he's unswerving and faithful in his goodness towards people. He will not always chide. Here he is saying that he won't always be patient, that there will come a day when he judges, but he says, nor will he keep his anger forever. And that means when he does forgive, his anger and wrath towards that individual will be removed. Now, these are all the, these are some of the attributes of God. And David was putting his trust on God, the character of God. And then after looking at the character of God, he turns to the actions of God and he says, Okay, now based on his character, what will he do in line with his character? And so in verses 10 through 12, he says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. If I could sum it up, it says, The Lord does not give his people what they deserve. And here are some beautiful illustrations. He says that the steadfast love of the Lord is as high as the heavens. You can't measure the height of the heavens. The only thing that is higher than the heavens is the exalted Lord of all. And I think that's the point. He is saying that the steadfast love is divine. It's truly divine. It's God's love. It's absolute, and it won't leave. It can't waver. It's unbreakable. Where sin abounds, grace all the more abounds. 
And it is because of this steadfast love that he puts our sin infinitely far from us. He says, as far as the east is from the west. The east and the west never meet. The distance between them cannot be calculated. He doesn't say east coast and west coast. That has measurements. But he says east and west, those are directions. So in his eyes, your sin is way over there and you are way over here. Separate from you. Here, listen to some other ways that other gospel, uh, gospel writers put it. He said in Micah seven nineteen, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast their sins into the depths of the sea. Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am one who wipes out your transgressions for my sake, and I will remember your sins no more. Job 38, 17, lo, for my welfare, I had great bitterness. It is you who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Now, be sure this is not universal forgiveness for all people. This is for all who fear him. Those who reverence his name, who are in awe of him, who willingly bow down to him as their Lord. When a person fears the Lord and honor him for how he has dealt with their sin, that's when these, these promises of their sin being removed, being trampled underfoot, being thrown into the sea, being separated as far as the east from the west is applied to them. And a person cannot say they fear the Lord if they still indulge in sin. You can't say you fear the Lord if you're going to go all the way to the east you was in the West. You're going to go all the way to the East, grab your sin, and then indulge in it. Or you're going to put on your scuba gear, scuba gear, dive in the bottom to the depths of the sea, go and grab your sin back up, and have a taste. You can't say you fear and honor the Lord for him separating your sin from you. If you're going to pick up his foot and look at it or take it from behind his back and put it in front of your face. That's not fearing the Lord. When we fear the Lord, we say, because you separated my sin from me, I am going to separate my sin from me with all the strength I got. That's what repentance is. Fleeing Satan and drawing near to God. That's repentance. That's what truly fearing and honoring the Lord is. Now, if you want to overcome your sin, Christian, this is one, one way you can do it. And I have one application throughout the whole sermon, the application of the text, is preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Say to yourself, the Lord has purchased me with his blood, therefore I will not fill in the blank. Say, I have died with Christ, and it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Therefore, I will not fear fill in the blank. That the Lord has put his righteousness on me. 
Therefore, I will not wear full, fill in the blank. The Lord has forgiven me of my sins. Therefore, I will forgive fill in the blank. I can go on and on and on. The way we fight sin, one of the ways that we fight sin is by preaching the gospel to ourselves over and over again and applying it to our situation. We have to be honest about if we, if we truly share the heart of God when it comes to dealing with our sin. If we do, that's one of the ways we will fight it. Now, friends, again, if, 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 if there's someone in here who delights in their sin, who indulges in it, well, well your sin is still with you and, you and you will die in your sin. But there's no need for that. Casting Crowns had a, got a song, East from the West. He said, how far is East from the West when it comes to separating your sin? It's from one scarred hand of the Jesus to his other hand. It is through the death of Jesus that all sins can be completely removed from us. It is through the death of Jesus that there is no more guilt or condemnation. Jesus said, it is finished. If you place your faith in Christ, he will not treat you like your sins deserve. He will remove your sins from you. And that is another reason why we become blessed to the Lord. And then a third point, another reason we bless the Lord, we bless the Lord because he is our understanding father. Our understanding father. That's verses 13 through 18. He says in verse 13, as a father, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And he says, verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and, it places, and it, its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Well, if he doesn't treat us like our sins deserve, how does he treat us? He treats us like a compassionate father. He is a father that, that knows our frame. He knows that we are but made from dust. He knows that we are frail and he knows we are weak, but that's okay because we're his. And so he sticks with us to the praise of his marvelous grace. He knew your weaknesses before he saved you. He knew everywhere where you was messed up. But he set his affections on you. Why? Not because of anything good of you, but just because he set his affections on you. Like a good father, he will be devoted to training you up in the way of the Lord. Like a good father, he will discipline you when you're wrong, but he only disciplines in love, though. Like a good father, he will protect, he will provide. And he does it because he knows that we are but dust. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. We are compared to like grass and flowers. Just as quick as we flourish, just as quick as we're blown away. 
But the good is that his love is never ending and is everlasting to everlasting. While we fade, his love remains. And not only is love, but in verse 17, it says he works righteousness to his children's children. He will always work on behalf of those who are his, fighting and avenging all the wrong done to them. Always, even as we fade, a person may say, I'm getting older. I can't evangelize the way I used to. You stay fearing the Lord. His steadfast love is on you. You say, I, 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 I'm, not good, I'm not good at discipleship. Whenever I get around people, I kind of I clutter up. I can't speak. I don't know what to say. His steadfast love is on you. You try to plant a church, Lord willing. The Lord may plant it, the Lord may build it, or it may just be me and my wife sitting in the house. But it's okay because the love of the Lord stays on us. He knows we are dust. It's not based on our performance or anything that we have done to keep his love attached to us. It's steadfast. It sticks. And preach this to yourself. Preach this to yourself. Know where your identity is. Know whose child you are. You are a co-heir if you have placed your faith in Christ. He loves you with the same love that he loves his son. You are fully accepted as a child if you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus. Another application beside preaching to yourself. My bad, I lied. Spouses, friends, one of the ways we bless the Lord is by imaging him. And the one thing that kept sticking in my mind, popping out, is this thing, this steadfast love. Steadfast love. That love that said, listen, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. That's how we are to be with each other in our covenant relationships, in our marriages, as as members of this church, in our friendships. We don't walk out the door when something gets on our nerves. We go to the door and we lock it and we lock ourselves inside the door. And we stay and we talk it out and we focus on how to love one another. When we have divisions in the church, which they will arise, we, we have steadfast love towards one another. We show each other's mercy and grace. That's the way we image the Lord in this area. And we also image the Lord in this area when we are trying to evangelize. When you try to pour your life into somebody that may not want what you're talking about, that could be tough. You may find yourself in the mud right along with them. 
running behind them, constantly trying to call them to repentance, constantly trying to love them. Use wisdom, but focus on being steadfast in that relationship. Who knows? The Lord may be grant the Lord may grant repentance and faith. Be steadfast in all your relationships. Image the God in this, image your God in this way. And bless the Lord at all times. And finally, and quickly we bless the Lord because He is ruler over all. And that's verses 19 through 22. It says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. He doesn't just rule the heavens, he rules over all. He rules over all nations, he rules over all kingdoms. He has eternal dominion. He not only rules the nations, but he rules the angels and the angelic hosts. He rules them by his word, and they do his will. And so, we should bless the Lord because he is king over all. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits on his heaven in the heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. I like that. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. The Lord is ruler. He's on his throne. Bless him. The Lord has made provision for sin. Bless him. The Lord is a compassionate father. Bless him. The Lord will remember your sins no more. Bless him. The Lord is renewing your life. Bless him. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we have even, haven't even begun to number the ways that you have blessed us. But you have done so much in Christ Jesus. 
And if we could say one thing that you have done for those in crisis, that you have removed our sin from us. And now we have the benefit of seeing you face to face. This one thing that we long for, this one thing that we ask, that we can be hold you in your temple and see you, we have now. We will be able to behold you and be with you forever because you have graciously and mercifully removed our sin from us and you will keep us. Keep this on our minds, Lord God, and help us to bless you at all times. It's in his name we pray, amen.